0: You are listening to kingdom faith where we focus on the christian life the good stuff and the hard stuff i'm phil and this is ben and on today's episode we have a special guest and friend of ben and i's uh today and his name is jeremy wall and he has a a testimony of what god's done in his life and he's going to share that on this episode uh today and and just a little bit of maybe discretion it's a little bit deeper of an episode Mm but um it's good no matter what so i just uh just pray that uh that it all goes well yeah uh uh, jeremy i know your
1: story phil knows your story maybe a couple of the listeners know your story but not everyone (laughs) so so like phil said you know there are some tougher things here but i think your story is a story worth hearing and i know phil would agree Mm -hmm. with me so jeremy we'll just hand it over to you you start where you feel like is the beginning and take it from there
2: well it's been a journey i can say that much Mm -hmm. um been through a lot in my life. Um, I get. Should we do the the famous biblical thing in the beginning? Oh in, yeah, <laughs> yeah. In the beginning, this is the two testament podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You never know when I give my testimony. Nor- testimony. Normally, I'm around other people. Mm-hmm. I'm, I've got somebody in front of me. The, the Lord's putting on me. Hey, I want you to share this testimony with somebody. So this this context is a little different. Yeah, yeah. a little out of my wheelhouse, so to mm-hmm. say, but. Um, I've always been the one that, when I give my testimony, I want to give it un, unaltered, mm-hmm. like unliquified, like with, you know, hey, here's what happened. This is what's what. Yeah. This is how bad I was. This is what God did. Mm-hmm. This is where I'm at now. Yeah. So I can definitely say where I'm at now is a, a good place. God mm-hmm. has really moved in my life in a big way. So I guess I should say that I also teach a uh, drug and alcohol class uh, here at the church. Yeah um, on Fridays, life recovery group. And I've seen a lot of people that are just like me come through that program. Yeah. So to be able to tell them, I think God put me through a lot of stuff in my life or I let a lot of things happen because it gave me a way to interact with people on, on their level. So I guess I can start with, if you're into drugs and alcohol, one of the main places you think about What happened? And Mm -hmm. and this is what I've noticed. If you're drugs and alcohol, usually it comes from some kind of broken place in your Mm -hmm. life. And I think my brokenness got started roughly when I was around nine or 10. Uh, it was the first time and you never know how deep to go. And I, you know, I know there's other people listening, but I'm just going to put it out there because it's a part of my history. So at nine years old, my dad started molesting me. Um, used to beat on me all the time. He had a really bad temper. He'd come home from work and I'd get the getting smacked. And I'm not just talking smacked. I'm talking hands in the mm-hmm. hallway, hands over my head and kind of smacking. Mm-hmm. My brother didn't receive any of that. I, me and my brother, a lot of people don't realize that we're half brothers. Mm-hmm. So we, uh, I don't think he did a lot of things to him because he was his quote unquote biological son. I don't know. Um, but it started out that way. So uh, there was a lot of abuse in that situation, a lot of shame. A lot of people ask you, well, why didn't you say anything? You know, why you're a kid, Mm -hmm. you got adults around you, you got all these people you can go talk to. But then I had this abusive father who would get done molesting me by sitting on the edge of the bed. And he'd tell me, if you tell anybody, I'm going to kill your mom and your dad or your, your brother. I'm going to kill your mom and your brother. So not only do you have the shame factor, the fear factor and all that, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: you're having to deal with that. So when I hit 13 or so, you know, I finally, there's some things that happened and, um, I ended up telling, you know, telling on him, basically the cops got involved, but I told them it was only once or twice because I was still under that Mm scared thing. Mm -hmm. So I only did a year on work release, you know, but my mom ended up divorcing him and leaving him. But that left me like hating authority, hating anybody in a a position of authority. It made me resentful towards my mom. You know, I started treating her really bad. I was at the bus stop one day and somebody's like, Hey man, I got, I got a joint. You want to smoke it? And I'm like. Sure. What is that? (laughs) I'd already started smoking around age 12, 13. So it wasn't a large, it wasn't a huge transition. Mm -mm. So we went around the corner and got high. And that's when I realized I'm like, I feel way better and I'm not dwelling on this stuff. I'm not mad anymore. Um, there's people that I'm smoking around with, oh, they're all laughing and happy go lucky. And I can Mm -hmm. laugh and forget about my problems for a while. And I think that's where it started. So kind of fast forwarding. I realized that the pot was like the first thing I tried. So when they say it's a gateway drug, it can be a gateway drug if you've already, if you're already broken, it can be a gateway drug into other things to help still alleviate the brokenness. Mm. So the next thing I tried was like cocaine. And then back in that time, day and age, there was a lot of acid going around the Great for Dead. We're on tour all the time. So we're eating a lot of acid, dropping a lot of acid. Um, magic mushrooms, you know, you found out where they grow. So we're in cow pastures looking for stuff. I'm not going to get any details there, but... Let's <laughs> needless to, to say, the more I took, the less I worried about that yeah. stuff. And along with that lifestyle of drug use, though, also come came with my own personal things. Um, a lot of fighting, a lot of anger. I ended up in White's Institute. I was in and out of foster homes, in and out of foster care. Uh, my mom had different husbands that I ended up scrapping with one in the front yard and beating him up and... Ended up in a foster home for a while. So at the age of 14, roughly 14 on, I never lived at home again ever.
1: Yeah.
2: I mean, that was that was it. I mean, it was either White's Institute or uh, foster homes or, you know, stuff like that. And I don't blame my mom for that. You know, mm-hmm. there, was, there was a point in time when she knew she couldn't handle me anymore. I mean, I'm six I'm 6'1", 3-plus <laughs> now. Back then, I was 6'1", 200 mm-hmm. pounds. You know what I mean? I was a big kid. Mm-hmm. So all that anger didn't have anywhere to go except crescendo into doing different things. I started selling drugs and doing stuff. My timeline, you have to remember my timeline's a little hazy sometimes because <laughs> even though you're sober, sometimes it all kinds of runs together, especially when you've had bad things happen. Mm-hmm. So I'll fast forward a little more. Over the years, I stayed an adult in drug use, did a lot of stuff like that. Um, I found out years ago about methamphetamine. There was a guy that came through and me and another buddy learned how to make it. So I was actually making methamphetamine before it was illegal. Mm-hmm. They didn't even have, it wasn't even illegal when I first started making it. Yeah. You could buy all the boxes of pills you need, buy all the supplies you need, and you could make up a half a pound of uh, methamphetamine. And the, not to brag, the chemical formula that I was using was actually the same one that Hitler created to keep his troops up. So it was extremely strong. Yeah. Um, so the people that I knew had did coke. So I'm, here I am making drugs and I'm ODing people that are normally doing coke because they weren't used to this new type.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So, I mean, I've got... When I think about my past, I think about all the things that you've got to answer for sometimes. It's like... It's scary. Yeah. You can get caught up. Yeah. And who do I owe? Mm-hmm. How do I fix it? hmm If I did that and I had to go back and fix everything I've ever done... I'd be busy for the rest of my life and I probably couldn't find all the people that I have affected in a negative manner. So I was doing meth, making meth for years. Um, That lifestyle comes along with um, you don't care about anybody.
0: Uh,
2: You don't have any real friends per se. They're mostly acquaintances. Um, You know, when you're not over the sexual... Things that happened to you in the past, they've carry with you into your adulthood. So I trade a lot of sex for drugs. There's a lot of women that are more than willing to,
0: yeah.
2: you know, trade up. So I was trying to. It's almost like since you were molested by a guy, you want to prove to yourself that you're still a man.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So you end up uh, you end up trying to do things you normally wouldn't do, and that leads you down a whole new sexual level. I think. Um, Looking back, I realize there's a spirit involved in that. There's a spirit that, of evil, a sexual intonation that's involved in that, that also progresses with you. So your things that you do get worse and worse. So you'll end up having three ways and parties and just, it turns into a mess. I don't want to get too graphic. No. It just turns into a mess. But at the time when you're in it, you think it's all good until the next day. Um, thank God... <laughs> Literally, thank God and I didn't get anything from all that. So I have been tested since then. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's come back negative. So that's that's only a test that's another testament to God. The mm-hmm. fact that I'm just doing all that stuff mm-hmm. and don't have the after effects of like having AIDS or herpes or gonorrhea or something crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean that's that straight up is by the power of God. So I went through all this and then um, I kind of get here my more recently, um, the last 10 years or so, I was an avid uh, narcotics user. I love narcotics. That was my drug of choice. Mm-hmm. And I got turned on to heroin. And uh, a lot of people hadn't heard about heroin like it is now, but back then, I mean, it was a little harder to find, a little mm-hmm. harder to get. I was taking trips to Chicago and you know, stuff like that. And I was getting large quantities to bring back. Um, so I started Normally, like everybody else does, you try the easy stuff first, you know, foiling it and snorting it and doing this and that until Mm -hmm. I got to the syringe part. I was a diabetic, so I had, always had, we call them, in the drug world, they're called rigs. Uh, In in normal people's society, it's called a syringe. (laughs) So I was a diabetic, so I had, I always had access. I think that was, I know you look back on you think, there's no way God gave that dude clean syringes to use. If you think about it, there's a providence there. Maybe that—that's the reason I ha- i never got any IV diseases. I never got hepatitis because I had my own my own syringes. Uh, but I started shooting heroin, and uh, it was it was called speedball. And when you mix mm-hmm. heroin and methamphetamine, it's one of the worst things you could do to yourself. And I did that for ten years. I mean, and when you're in that mode, you become so used to things, it becomes a lifestyle. It's it goes past the point. Of just being something you do to who and what you are, mm. and at that point, who and what you are is is bad. I mean, you're mm-hmm. you're dark. You're you're in a dark zone. I mean, I used to at one point in time, and hopefully this won't get me arrested. <laughs> mm-hmm. there at one point in time in this town, there's probably there wasn't probably any meth you could touch in this town that didn't come through me at one point. I mean, I mm-hmm. I wield and dealed a lot, you know. I'm not proud of that. I'm, not, I'm proud of the things that I've done in the past. And it still haunts me somewhat sometimes when I hear somebody's OD'd or, you know, it's like, man, did I start the person that started that person that got that person to OD? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You wonder where the dominoes fell, you know, where that domino effect, if that was the domino effect.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But you can only do so much. And I come to a point where I kind of, life is just really falling apart. And my I ended up having a house. I had the animals. Had a dog I'd had for twenty years. Um, he had just he died shortly before my house burnt down. And then I lost his son, which I had for eight or nine years. And I had a blue and gold macaw I had for eight years. Uh, I know a lot of people are like, Well, what's animals got to do with this? Well, when you're in that kind of lifestyle, you have to invest your affections in something. Mm-hmm. You can't invest it in people because people fail you. Mm-hmm. So all my love, all my all my niceness per se went into my animals. Mm -hmm. You know, if you, if you come into my house and you didn't like my dogs or you treated them badly, Mm -hmm. I'm liable to beat you out my door. I mean, that's how, Mm -hmm. that's where I was. I love the animals. So when my house burnt down and I lost my animals and I lost most everything I owned, I mean, I was already on a dark course. That really put me on a dark course. Mm -hmm. Um, to the point where, um, I was living in the back of my truck, had a, uh, uh, cab over on the back of my truck. So I was basically homeless. <laughs> it's funny because you think, well, I'll go stay at old, I'll still go. I'll, I'll just go stay at old boy's house. And you get the old boy's say, Oh man, my old lady said no, and blah, yeah. blah, blah. You got these quote unquote friends mm-hmm. that when you're down and out, these little drug buddies of yours, they're not willing to you know put a foot forward and help you out. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? They're all like, you do what you do. And then you just get even harder. So here I am running around. Um, I'm an ex felon, so I'm not supposed to have guns and I've got, you know, we got a nine millimeter and a 38 and I'm running around, not caring if the cops pull me over. I'm like, I'll just pull my gun out and do suicide by a cop. At that point, I really didn't care about nothing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's times in the past where I've, you know, people owed me money and I've kicked their doors in and put a knee in their chest and a gun in their mouth and told me you'll either pay me in four days or I'll come back and mm-hmm. just, I'm pausing. Cause I'm just thinking about how shocking that is to me now and how normal that was to me then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's night and day different. It's, it's like, was that really me? Did I really do that? (laughs) Was I that bad? Mm -hmm. So, um, my house burning down kind of solidified things for me. I was done. At that point, I was, you know, I'm 40, 44, I think. And then (laughs) I'm getting old enough now. It don't matter anymore. (laughs) Um, I was old enough then that I didn't care. I'd already lived this hardcore life. Man, my house burned down. I lost everything I owned, everything I loved. I was just basically living without living. Mm -hmm. You know, I was going from place to place, person to person, flop house to flop house, and um, I didn't care. And then finally I made the decision. um, I'm done. So my brother had been cool enough to let me use his upstairs apartment above his law office for a little bit. And mostly that stuff that I, it was really personal that I, personal to me that I'd saved through the fire, or, you know, odds and ends that I had with me, pictures and, you know, like my dogs and my, my dog's mm-hmm. ashes and, you know, a blanket that my mom's sewing club had made. They would make these quilts for people and things of that nature. I didn't really stay there much because it's like, Really nice. (laughs) My brother's kind of a perfectionist. Love my brother, but he's a little bit of a perfectionist and I'm a little bit of a slob, just to be honest. (laughs) And uh so we were kind of always in that argument. You left this out, you did that, you washed it. So it was like man, I'm not staying in that place. Plus it really was when you're in that kind of lifestyle, a nice place makes you actually feel kind of uncomfortable. Yeah. So you're in this nice place, you know, marble countertops, and you're like, I don't feel right here. So I did a lot of time on the streets, man. I just stayed in the back of my truck, or there was times when the police, I'd be sitting in the parking lot, sleeping, and the police would come knock on the window. Hey, Jeremy, you gotta move, man. You can't be sleeping over here, all right. So I just got done. Mm -hmm. I got to, I'm done doing this. So I decided that I'm gonna end it. So I took off, Um, I went up to my brother's apartment, and I was making the decision, and I used to have hair all the way down my back. You know, I used to have long hair, anybody from the past ever remembered Hmm. me, or maybe I might still have an old Facebook (laughs) page out there floating around. I had it on there. I've never had short hair in my life, but I know it sounds crazy, but you hit this point when you're contemplating suicide, Satan pulls his hands away. Okay. Everything gets quiet. Mm -hmm. You feel this immense peace that you've never felt before. Um, You just know there's a, there's a, it's, it's really hard to describe yeah. unless you've actually been to that suicidal point. Because there's a lot of people that talk suicide. I even talked suicide before and knew I was never going to do it. This time around was different. There was a difference mm-hmm. to it. And in that difference, I ended up cutting all my hair off. Because I didn't, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, man, I don't need all this hair. Corner can't get it right how I do it anyway, you know. <laughs> Literally, that yeah. was my thought. But it, I mean, it sounds really macabre now, but it was more of a, well, the corner, corner can't get my hair right, so I'll just cut it all off. I've had that hair for years and years and years and years and years. Never had short hair. That was at the level that I was at. Mm-hmm. I'm done. So I the one of the last things I did was I had a motorcycle that was worth some money and uh, had a um, really nice Honda Gold Wing. And uh, it was over at a friend's house, over at Kenny Murphy's house. I wanted to make sure that my brother at least got the motorcycle, you know, so I had the title for the motorcycle and the keys and I went over to Kenny's house and I'd wrote a letter to Kenny because Kenny was one of those Christian people that was cool that I'd, I I kind of knew for years and years. He always wheeled and dealed, you know, and he worked for Nest Brothers. So he was always had a couch or, hey, man, you need somebody needs a couch or a dresser or mm-hmm. knickknacks or I mean, he's always wheeled and deal. And I love that about him. It's like going treasure hunting at Kenny's. You know what I'm saying? He had a little <laughs> bit of everything. It was awesome. But Kenny was always one of the people that was straight up with me, always gave me the right deal, always was like on it, and he was about God. So he'd asked me on numerous occasions to go to church. I'm like, yeah, man, I don't don't think so, dude. I love you, Kenny, but I ain't drinking the (laughs) Kool-Aid. So (laughs) I knew that out of all the people I knew that I could trust, I could give Kenny Murphy those keys in that title, and they would get to plus it was it has, and I knew that's where it would go. But I left him a note and I said, Kenny, you know, I'm sorry about everything that's going on and you know, not going to, I don't even remember if I said not going to surgery, but not doing what I was supposed to, the end. I know that um, you've been a good guy. I want to make sure that my brother gets my motorcycle and the keys. I want you to know this ain't your fault, dude, but I'm done, I've had enough. Uh, Please don't think anything bad about me. And uh, I just put it in a Ziploc bag and hung it on his door probably, I don't know, midnight or so. Mm -hmm. Kenny's one of those type of people, 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. He's in bed. And he sleeps till 6 a.m. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That kind of person. You can kind of bank on his clock. So I went back to the apartment. And I'm gathering stuff up. I left a note in a quote for my mom saying, Mom, I, I know you love me. But this is not your fault. I'm just tired. I can't do this anymore. Uh it had nothing to do with you. Don't blame yourself for this. Started doing my, my little things like that. You know, packing up what little bit of stuff I had so that when they come and got it, you know what I mean? Everybody, it would already be packed up. Um, I'm kind of going through that spiel, and I get there's somebody starts banging on the door downstairs, and then all of a sudden, I, my brother and his old lady come walking through the door, and I'm like, What are they doing here? Hmm. Well, my brother goes, Uh, do you realize there's nine cops downstairs? And I'm thinking, Okay, they've got me on something, so I'm like, Okay, well, I gotta go to the bathroom real quick. So I went to the bathroom, tucked the gun in. My nine millimeter in the back of my waistband. I thought, well, this is it. Mm -hmm. It's time to go. So I go back out and he's like, did you leave a note at Kenny Murphy's house? I'm like, what? And he's like, did you say he was going to commit suicide? I'm like, no, it's not what I said in that note. Like, look, dude, I was just drunk. I was having. by the time. He's like, well, you need to go down here and tell them cops that because they ain't leaving because they got a call that he was going to commit suicide. Mm. So I go downstairs and of course I got this ring of cops around me (laughs) nine millimeter tucked in my waistband I'm like oh crap this is probably not my brother's here so I don't want to do this now because my brother's right here I don't want my brother see me getting a gunfight with the police I mean you got all these thoughts going through your head at the time so I'm like I just tell the cops the same thing look man I'm not suicidal they can't put you away if you tell them you're not suicidal or you're going to hurt somebody else Mm -hmm. um so I was like, look, man, I'm not suicidal. I don't hurt nobody. I'm good. I was drunk earlier. I left that. It was just a boohoo note, blah, blah, blah. they're like, oh, okay, you sure? And I'm like, yeah, I'm positive. They're like, all right. So they left. I went back upstairs. Of course, my brother, my parents and my brother, my mom and my brother never really knew the extent of the drugs I was into. They knew I was into a little bit of something, but they didn't really know. I don't think they really knew about the IV drug use or uh, other things that was going on. Yeah. Um, I, on purpose, kept them out of the dark. Um, family functions, like being being an IV drug user, I went to Wal like part of the reason I could do, I went to Walmart and I color matched. So there's some women out there. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You go to Walmart, you hit the makeup aisle, you color match. I did the color match in my arm to cover the rig tracks and the bruises. And I learned how to apply base and uh, Mm -hmm. do the coloring thing. So I can actually do makeup pretty good because you don't want your people to know. You don't want to know how bad your life Mm -hmm. is falling apart. You don't want them to know your shame and stuff like that. Because my mom's always been a Christian woman. Mom's always, always giving me the Christian spiel. You know, if you let God help you, you would be all right. I'm like, yeah, mom, whatever. You know, I love you too. Hey, have a good day. Are you going to give me that 10 bucks or what? Mm -hmm. (laughs) that kind of deal. (laughs) So... Mom had always been a good Christian. So anyway, my brother comes in and we're talking. He's trying to tell me, man, you need, I'll pay for recovery. I'll pay for you to go to recovery. I'll pay for you to get help, blah, 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 whatever you need. Dude, you can't, you know, this is stupid. You know, you're, and I'm like, look, man, I'm not going to recovery. You don't get this, bro. I don't want to recover. I'm done. Well, his old lady was there and she's telling him, sorry, I don't for anybody out there, old lady is an 80s term and I'm an 80s baby. <laughs> so you might hear me say dude and old lady a lot. There's <laughs> not to be disrespectful. That's just one of my terms. So his old lady's sitting there telling me, look, you can't browbeat him into this, Justin. He's not, he'll either do it or he won't do it. So my brother finally said, look, if I'm going to leave, you got to promise me something. I was like, what? He's like, promise you me you won't kill yourself tonight.
0: <sighs>
2: <sighs> All right, I promise. Well, see, even back in the day, my nickname on the streets was old school. It was really odd because I had this old school weird set of values. that was kind of instilled in me that if you tell, give somebody your word, mm-hmm. you keep it. If you tell me you're going to do something, do it kind of thing back and forth. I think that's why a lot of people messed with me mm-hmm. because they knew what they were, you know, I was on that level. So I promised my brother, I'm like, okay, I promise I won't. And I got your word. Yeah, you got my word. All right. He's like you better be here tomorrow i'm like well i don't know if i'll be up here in this mansion but i might be around <laughs> so i made that promise at night that still did not stop my suicidal thought i'm like look this just put me off for a day or so so the next thing i did was i go to my storage unit because i'm still planning on committing suicide and i get to my storage unit and of course i'm start going through my storage unit the thought in that process was i don't want my mom to find my porn stash. I don't want my mom to find my drug making equipment. <laughs> Nobody wants to, their mama to find their porn stash or their drug making equipment, no. or any used syringes or any you know empty foilies or glass bulbs or anything no. else. So if I, you know if I'm willing to put makeup on, I'm willing to let my. So I'm going through this storage and I'm emptying out all this stuff, man. I'm you know crushing up porn tapes and ripping up you know ripping things up, throwing things away. I had a stack of Playboys, probably as tall as you are, Phil, <laughs> they all went in the trash, um, stuff like that. And as I'm doing it, Kenny's, Kenny Murphy's house is only a few blocks from that storage place. So I thought, man, I owe that dude an apology at the very least. Man, he's been cool to me. So I go over there, and I get out of the truck, and Kenny comes running up, wraps his arms on, like, oh my God, dude, I thought you were dead. And I'm like, what? And he goes them stupid cops never come back and tell me you were still alive. Here I've been up all night thinking you're dead, dude, or you're mm-hmm. laying in a ditch somewhere or something's happened to you. I'm like, I felt like an inch tall. No. I'm like, oh, man, dude, I am so sorry, dude. That's why I come over. I want to apologize, man. And he used to set up for these garage sales. That's how he wheels and deals and makes a lot of his living. He would get this stuff from Ness or bid on stuff or people normally willing and dealing with him all over the place. Yeah. Well, he would set up his yard for garage sales, you know, put all the stuff out. Well, some of that takes a lot of work and I used to help him quite often. And I said, look, Kenny, I'll, I owe you a garage sale set up, man. I'll help you set up for your garage sale. And now what you're doing today? And Kenny's like, no. Nope. I said, he's like, I'm like, what? And he's like, no, I don't need no help with garage. You got to go to church. Man, I'm to go to a stupid church. And he's like, you got to promise me you'll go to church Sunday. I'm like, come on, man. Hmm. I said, I'll do, I'll help you. I'll help you set up and I'll do all this stuff. And I'm going to go to church. And he goes, if you want to make it right, you got to go to church on Sunday. Like, all right, he was giving me your word. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I end up going to a a mission house um, Mm -hmm. with Jim spawns down there preaching. But I waited until I seen everybody was in for a while for a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I go in and I'm in, I'm wearing a black leather vest sleeveless vest that I still have today. And in the inside of it has spandex so you can put different size guns in it. So I've got a nine millimeter on one side and I've got a thirty-eight Derringer on the other side. And I walk into this church and I get in the back pew and I'm wearing that vest, ripped up blue jeans, you know. And I am in the back row and I'm sitting there and he starts preaching. And as people are turning around, they're like, oh no, we're gonna become another church statistic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's gonna be a shooting in this church and that guy's gonna do it. And they would look and the pure look of terror on their face was like, oh, no, I don't want to be here anymore. One of these guys, one of these people are going to call the police. I'm going to end up in jail. And I just kept getting those types of looks. Mm-hmm. You know, people turn around and like, oh, we shouldn't have looked at him and turned back. Around. <laughs> but then again, I'd been awake for almost 23 days or more. You know, we're talking heroin and meth out. You know, my dark circles under my eye, you know, was way skinnier then than I am now. Like I said, God is good for the soul, but bad for the waistline. (laughs) (laughs) Probably gained 100 pounds since then. So these people were literally scared. And the preacher, I don't even remember what he was preaching about. I remember he came off the pulpit and he pointed at me and he says, Son, you got a problem. I just kind of gave him a weird look. He's like, God saw me. You you know, you need to. He goes, "Uh, I need to talk to you about God. I'm like, Okay. And he walks a little further he says, are you, he goes, so do you know God? I said, yeah, I know God. And he's like, well, stand up, son. So I stood up and he goes, what's, what's going on? I said, yeah, I know about God. And I said, I'll tell you what, here, here's what I know. I went, My was dragged to church when I was a kid. I know God didn't burn my house down. I know he didn't kill everything I love, but he let that happen. And I said, so you know what? Screw you and screw your God. mm mm-hmm. You could hear the collective gasp in the church. <laughs> I was like, "What did he just say to him?" <laughs> and of course, you st- I've still got this spirit of evil in me that is ready to do battle. You mm-hmm. know, um, and I'm, he needs—he walks a little closer. It ended up we he was—he's within punching distance, mm-hmm. okay. And I've already turned sideways and got a fist cock back, and and he's like. Son, God told me that you need saved today. You need to do the sinner's prayer with me. I'm like, look, man, I don't need to do no sinner's prayer. Once you get back to preaching, dude. And he's like, no, you need to do the center He goes, you need to do the sinner's prayer with me. I'm like, look, man, I ain't gonna do no good. He's like, just do the sinner's prayer with me. So now I've got one of two choices. I can either punch this old guy in the face, this old preacher guy in the face, and bail, and probably get arrested, and still not be able to commit suicide, or. I can do just go through his spiel and mm-hmm. be done. So I thought, eh, let's or you, i I'll just go through the spiel that way I can get out of here. So we went through the, you know, the sinner's prayer, which I'm sure you guys know what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if anybody else out there in Radio land does, but um, it's when you commit yourself mm-hmm. to God and you ask for God for your forgiveness and all this and that. As I was saying it, I didn't hear any choirs of angels. I didn't even believe what I was saying at the mm-hmm. time. I was saying it just verbatim of what he was saying. But at the end of it, something stirred in me. And I'm like, he goes, and you heard what, thank God. And I'm like, wait a second, preacher. He's like, what? I said, you got to add something to this prayer. He goes, what's that? I said, if God wants me, he's got to prove it because I'm dumb with faith. Well, he's kind of got a country accent. He's like, you heard what he said, Lord. (laughs) (laughs) And amen. And I sat back down. He went back up and I hurried up and bailed out of there towards the end. I got out before anything happened. So I get back in my truck and I go up to um, the hill, um, you know, over by the lake, lake Claire, lake Claire, the hill. And that was before they shut the camp, yeah. old, but it was still the old campground. Yeah. I would sleep there mm-hmm. um, every once in a while. So I'm up there and I'm crashed out and I ended up crashing out for quite some time, probably, I don't know, two days, two, three days. Um, but when I woke up, when you wake up from being as addicted as I was to things, you you always wake up with this urge to do some, do some more drugs, mm-hmm. get back to your new back to your normal, you know, because you usually you wake up with in withdrawal, it's terrible, um, the shakes and you know the, the urge and the the nervousness and all that hits. When I first woke up, I'm like, I'm like the devil's telling me, man, you got so high on Saturday, you're still high on on Wednesday, and I'm like. That ain't right. I'm sitting there thinking about it more and I'm like, man, so I put my hand out and I ain't got the shakes so Because when you get mm-hmm. when you're really addicted to things, your hands shake, your body you get body tremors, you mm-hmm. get cold chills, you get headaches to sweats, nausea. I mean, you're mm-hmm. just you're feeling it. I mean, so I put my hand out, my hand's not shaking like it usually is when I get up. And I'm like, the thought in my head was like, Man, I need to do a shot. And then it was like, wait a second, I don't. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, these guys are watching me tear up like a big baby. (laughs) That's okay. It was the first time I ever heard God's voice. Mm -hmm. Mostly my entire life is like, he said, I just proved it. Now what, punk? (laughs) Yeah. And then people told me, no, God didn't say it. And I'm like, yeah, he did. Because I'm an 80s baby, and that's my term of endearment. I call my, to this day, I call my son, come here, punk. I love you. I love mm-hmm. you, punk. Yep. So God knew what to say. And and it dawned on me that I didn't have the urge to do yeah. drugs anymore. Mm-hmm. Didn't have. I've never had a day of withdrawal from that, ever. So the now what is what started consuming me. Mm-hmm. Um I didn't know what to do with myself, actually, at first. I'm just like, "What do I, what is this?
1: Yeah.
2: Why do I not have the urge to do drugs, you know? I had some stuff in the back of my truck. I went out and got it, and I'm like getting ready you know, put some meth on a foil and got it going a little bit, and it was just like, I don't even, went over to the lake and dropped it in. I'm like, I don't even want to do this. Mm-hmm. It, the urge was like completely gone, which just flabbergasted me. Mm-hmm. So I call Kenny, and I'm like, when's church next time? He's like, "What?" Okay. <laughs> I said, "What is church tomorrow night?" I'm like, "All right, what time should I be at your house?" Really, you want to go? I'm like, "Yeah, I guess." So I went, and uh, that started a, a whole nother long thing of self-discovery. Um, I ended up getting a camper. My camper. I still homeless. I've been. I was homeless for a long, long time, probably two or three years. But I was staying in campers behind people's houses. But in that. I didn't have a TV, I didn't have access to HBO, Cinemax, Netflix, or anything else. I had my phone, which I watched a lot of stuff on my phone. Um, that's what I watched Netflix or anything else mm-hmm. on to my phone. But I watched sermons, and I read my Bible, and I, I had to learn new music. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Dude,
2: you can't go from ACDC. <laughs> and it took me a while to, to make the transition from ACDC to Lauren Dangle, or from, <laughs> from you know half the things yeah. I was listening to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because the God was already had filled me with the Holy Spirit. So the things that I was hearing at that time were giving me serious conviction. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't listen to Tupac anymore Mm -hmm. and I can't listen to this because it's talking about, you know, having sex with this girl or smoking this blunt or Mm -hmm. drinking this beer or partying this. And I'm like, it just literally was like, I don't want to listen to this crap. Literally. I don't want to listen to this. This This is bad. So then I'm like, But I still like some of my old school, like, you know, (laughs) I'm like trying to listen to ACDC, you know, Ozzy and all them. And then it's dawning on me. The Holy Spirit's like convicting me on it. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't listen to this crap anymore. So I'm like, okay, I'm cruising through the dials and I finally found this 88.3. And I'm like, this is Christian music. Okay, this is kind of boring. But I kept listening Mm -hmm. because the message in the Christian music was good. It was what I needed to hear. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm like, I was bored out of my mind listening to Christian music at first, because it was like, this is not my type of music. But the message it was saying was my type of message. It's what I needed to hear. So I started reading the Bible. Okay, what what are all these miraculous stuff that's going on? Why does God do miracles? Why does God do this? Why does God do that? So I'm really contemplating, and I got engrossed. I mean, I'm talking six months of intense laid out on my camper floor, praying to God. Okay, God, why did you save me? Why is this going on? Okay, you got to help me with this. You got to help me quit doing that. So, like sex. I mean, that's a big thing. You're going 100 mile an hour to zero. Yeah, no. So then, okay, what do you take up your time with then? Well, your old saint in mind, I call it your saint in mind, your man mind. It's like, okay, well, I can't have sex with girls anymore, so I'll just start doing porn. <laughs> so you start doing porn, and then the Holy Spirit's like, you can't do that either, Jeremy. <laughs> and you're like, Okay, and then you start reading the scripture and you realize, okay, if I'm sitting there watching porn, it's tight, aching to committing adultery. Crap, what am I going to you know? <laughs> so I've had this whole like long transition of yeah. things I can and can't do anymore, which is fine. I mean, that's mm-hmm. I, that's how you know the Holy Spirit's working. Yeah. When your life starts changing, you know, the Holy Spirit's working. Mm-hmm. So I finally got to the point where it was on to, I started reading about Jesus Christ and forgiveness. Because mm-hmm. that was one of my big things. Why was I forgiven for what I did? Um, my, my sins are forgiven as far as the east is from the west uh, You know, some of these phrases started really catching up to me, some of these things in the bible started sticking out to me, mm. so when it stuck out to me it's like God's like, I'm talking to you hello, that's what that scripture means, get it so then I realized that if I'm being forgiven, I gotta do some forgiveness, so I've forgiven my father for what he's done to me I mean there's a lot of people that can't say that I, I forgive him for what he did to me I, and in all honesty it doesn't hurt me anymore. It doesn't consume me, it doesn't cause me pain. Before that was a place that Satan could work out of. That was a stronghold he did established in my mind that he'd been working out of my whole life. Yeah. Um, and that's in my classes a lot of times I think about, I talk about strongholds. If Satan can get you dwelling on something that's so terrible in your life, he can control your life. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what he did with me through that that instant of brokenness. Uh, the the molesting and the beating is what he worked out of. The reason I can talk about it so openly now is because of not only because of the forgiveness I've received, but the forgiveness I've given him. It's a it, forgiveness is, is Jesus' superpower. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> what I it's what his superpowers <laughs> in my opinion. I think if you one of the things you tailor your life on is okay, what would Jesus do? I mean that's you had the little bracelets there went yeah. for years or whatever. So when I hit situations like from now I've been saved probably five years about just about now. I haven't done any drugs or alcohol. I've had cancer, been in cancer treatment. had t- tonsil cancer, been radiated. Y'all saw that. Mm. I looked like Frankenstein on crack. It was crazy. <laughs> I was terrible. I come in, my neck's all raw. Mm. and But when I woke up, I'm on my favorite drug, intravenously, with a little button I could push. So here's this addict, ex-addict, sitting in a bed with a pain pump. I can hit X amount of times in an hour. I feel like I swallowed crushed glass because they done opened my neck up from under my ear to the middle of my throat. You know they've radiated me. I'm trying. I couldn't even hardly swallow water alone. So then they're trying to give me this food, and I'm like, I can't. You know. So the only times I was really pushing the button is right before I ate, an hour before I ate, I pushed the button. But the other times, instead of the pushing the button, I prayed, God, I don't want to be an addict anymore. Mm -hmm. God, I don't want to be an addict anymore. I was scared because I knew after that, then I was going to have to be on pills. You know, what I tell them, I don't want pills. And then sit there with this pain. Like I said, they cut me from, you guys know, Mm the scar runs from underneath my ear to the middle of my throat. I had, what, 30 metal staples, Mm -hmm. had a hose out of my neck and I'm getting radiated on top of it. I mean, I felt miserable and Mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm like, I was afraid. Yeah, no need. There was no reason to fear. Because I started praying about it. I'm like, God, you got to help me, man.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I can't be that guy anymore. And he did. Yeah. Um, the urge didn't come back. Um, I had all the times I could press that button. I pressed it before I ate. Because like I said, I was like <laughs> swallowing glass. man. <laughs> God's like, there's a certain amount of difficulty here, Jeremy, that you're going to need that for. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So after I got off, after I got off that in you know, the pain pump, that was prescribed patches. Yeah. Um, more, you know, what, what is that? Um, oh, you know, I'm talking about hardcore. Anyway, like morphine. No, they're Micanin? no, they're harder than that. Um, I cannot. The names on the tip of my tongue. Anyway, these patches are, are really really strong. It's what everybody's ODing on. Uh, fentanyl. Oh, fentanyl. Yeah, yeah, fentanyl. Why? I don't know. See, God's even starting to pull name, drug names out <laughs> of my head. Cool. Anyway, the fentanyl patches, there's kind you can. Back in the day, I was getting fentanyl patches off of people. I was trading meth for yeah. it and whatever. And there's two kinds there's kind that comes with a gel, yeah. and there's kinds that are just like kind of like a hard plastic. And those you cut up in little pieces and chew. Yeah. So that way it releases all the fentanyl at once. The gel kind you cut open and put on a piece of aluminum foil and use a pin tube. And, yeah. and the reason I'm being explanatory about this stuff is because if there's people out there that are doing this, you know i'm not just talking crazy mm-hmm. because you know about the pin tube and the foily and the hitting it um and the high that causes so here i am i got a box full of fentanyl patches and i'm like what am i supposed to do with this you know i don't really want to be on this but the pain was real i mean really? it really was the pain was real man so i'm putting on the fentanyl patches but every time i go in i'm telling the doc look man i want to get can we go lower on the milligrams on this mm-hmm. So every month, month after month, it was on three or four months because mm-hmm. you know you have these months of of chemo you're in that you're you're, you're sick every day and just yeah. you wake up with body aches and just hurt and headaches from it because it was up by my head I was getting ready, but God was with me through all that. I didn't crush them, I didn't snort them like I normally did. I actually know how to take uh, pills and break them down and get the content out of like Vikes and mm-hmm. Norks and stuff. I can actually chemically break them out from my old. Chemical day passed. Um, I had a friend that OD'd because he had learned how to do that and taught me. Eventually, ended up OD'ing and killed himself. So it's just been God was with me even through all that. So no. the fact that okay, you got drug people that go okay, if I use again, I'm I'm gonna go. It's gonna be bad. Um, and I was using. Here I was using my drug of choice, getting my drug of choice, and not abusing them and not overdoing them and not getting mm. high on them and not not wanting to. That's how I know the grace of God is real in drug recovery, okay? And I was wondering at the time, I'm like, man, what do I got to throw go all through this crap? I think I even told you guys. What was it? Um, I said, well, either
0: you guys asked you know, me, well, how do you... Two, you have two different testimonies from it. Oh, no, you, you said... That either you you're gonna make it and you're gonna have a testimony from it, a testimony of what God's done, or you get to go home to Jesus. Right. <laughs> That's what you always said.
2: So what happened? I ended up with a testimony. Yeah. I ended up being able to tell other people on drugs, look, if God is in your court, you can't go wrong.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Period. I don't care what you've done in the past. I don't care where you're going. It's like when I don't. The reason I don't like AA per se, as far as what they say. You get these people. I've been to AA, and I, you know, years ago when I tried to do that futile break away stuff, mm-hmm. and I wasn't even really an alcoholic, but they didn't really have Narcotics Anonymous mm-hmm. anywhere where I was at. So they wanted me to stand up and say, Hey, my name is Jeremy and I'm an alcoholic. And I'm like, for one, I'm, alcohol's never been one of my problems. I never had a problem with alcohol, um, ever. So here I am in this class stating something I'm not, you know, just so that I could hear the other stories and get help, that camaraderie. Um, I tell people in class, look, if you've accepted Jesus Christ, you'll never hear me tell you to stand up and say you're an addict because that no longer exists. That person no longer exists. You can stay, stand up and say, my name's Jeremy, and I'm a new creation in Christ. Yeah. That stands. Mm-hmm. But the fact that you're an addict or, or a drug addict or an alcoholic or whatever that case is, if you've accepted Christ in your life, that part of your life is over, it's done. Sends as far as the east and the west. Um, now I know there's a lot of work that goes on after you get saved, there's a lot of work in, in beating a drug, yeah. but I think God's the only way to do it. So the here and now, now, sorry, the here and now is God has brought me through a lot of stuff. I've been to Mexico on mission trips, mm-hmm. never been outside the country before. I've been on two mission trips to Mexico, and I'm telling you, <laughs> you ever want to see how people live? I mean, I literally have pictures of people in trash. And they were claiming that section of trash to get enough stuff out of it to feed their families. Yeah, You know, I've been on the streets at uh, Skid Row praying for people, you know, and their brokenness mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Which is also another, you get other church people that don't necessarily understand the drug life or the drug usage. And they were on the band with us. And we pulled up and a guy was leaned against the wall and it just... Used a syringe and shot up some heroin. Was laying over, his head all leaned over, and we pull up, and <laughs> one of the ladies in the van went, "Oh my!" <laughs> and I'm like, hey, "This is like coming home." <laughs> Pastor Gilbert starts laughing. He's, he's a little, he's a little Hispanic guy. He's cool, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Yeah, Jeremy, like you can pitch a tent here and be just fine, huh, dude?" And I'm like, "Yeah, man." <laughs> and he's like, "Man, you can stay here all day and talk to people." <laughs> so, there were it was a little culture shock, and I think maybe that's my testimony. That's how I compare it. You've got people, and I'm not glorifying myself. Dude, I live my life. I mean, it is what it is. But you got people's testimonies that I will never understand. And you've got my testimony, which some sometimes I don't even understand. But there's different people you can reach. In that instant, like on the van, when she pulled up, she'd never seen anything like that. She'd never been in that situation. Mm-hmm. You know, here's this guy slumped over, maybe even dead mm-hmm. from just doing a shot you know, and I pull up and I'm like, yeah, I know what that's like. That's the difference in testimony. So maybe there's, hopefully there's somebody out there that's, you know, been in some of the same stuff or some of the same things I've been in. Um, but that good testimony of hers too is if she's never had a bad life, never gotten into trouble, that's a life to aspire to, you know, is somebody that's come from my side of it. I can look at her and be like, look, you've never been in trouble in a day in your life. You ain't never... You ain't even got a speeding ticket? <laughs> nope, I've never gotten a speeding ticket. I'm like, dude, I want to live like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I want to be that clean. You know, I want to have that clean life. So that's kind of my testimony in a nutshell. There's a lot more in-depth things, but I don't want to get into all that. Yeah. But I mean, that's that's quite a bit. I mean, I've been through pretty much whatever you can think of. I've been through any kind of drug you you can mm-hmm. imagine I've done. I've done acid and I mean, I've done it every kind of way. Um, I'm not proud of that anymore, but I'm not going to let it hold me back. I'm not going to let somebody else dictate who I am today because God dictates me different and I know who I am in the kingdom of God. Ain't nobody going to stop that. Mm -hmm. You know, for all the years I worked for the evil one, and I think I posted this on Facebook Mm -hmm. at one point, I used to work years and years for the evil one. Now I'm working years and years for the good one, Mm -hmm. for God and Jesus. So if I can take the same aptitude that i applied for that evilness and applied that for the goodness i think i'm probably in a good pretty good place <laughs> yeah for
0: sure um i just want to give a final thought here before uh, i let you say any final thoughts that you have jeremy is i think you know not everybody's going to be the the same person you were jeremy not everyone's obviously going to have you know maybe it, not. <laughs> yeah as rough as you've had it but i think for a good chunk of people they have someone in their family they know who's in the drug scene, who's, who, is homeless or you know does you know just don't know what they're doing because they're out living on the streets and you know out doing the the drug scene and stuff and I think part of you part of your testimony you mentioned your friend Kenny, you know how he was always mm-hmm. like you know you need to, you know I love you you know I want you to come to church with me you know and a lot of times you know people have those you know people in their lives and in. You know, I think the best thing to take from it, if maybe you're, maybe you're saved, maybe, maybe you have Jesus, then I think you need to be like Jeremy's friend, Kenny. You yeah. need to, to look out for the one who, who potentially feels like they're at rock bottom and they don't have nowhere to go. They don't, you know, they they think they're absolutely alone and, and you know that they can have somebody in their life and that person is Jesus Christ. And I'm, and I'm with Jeremy 100%. If you struggle with drugs, I really only think the one way to do it is through Jesus. True the way, perm, yeah. the per, the Permanent, permanent solution. Because <laughs> yeah. a lot of people can will it for at least a little oh, yeah. while. Oh, yeah. You can will it for at least a little while, but Jesus is the only one that can, can take the urge away. And sometimes it don't happen in a moment like Jeremy did. No, that was unique. But I think... Jesus can can help pull you away from it. He can he can take his hand, put it in the pit, and pull you right out of it. There's there is a place to go. You know, there's not just you're not by yourself. There is a person that you can lean on, and it's Jesus. And and that's exactly what your testimony is about, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And I think that that speaks the loudest out of everything. You know, Jesus will will literally meet you, you anywhere, yep. anywhere. It don't matter where it's at. He'll be there if you call on him. If you if if you, you know, say, hey, you know, I, I, I need to see you, Jesus, however you say it, whatever, you know, I believe he'll show himself. I've
2: kind of told some people sometimes when I'm talking to them about when I give my testimony and we're talking, like, do challenge him. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, I said, challenge you. Hey, Jesus, you got to show me what's up. I don't know what's going on. I said, that's, I mean, you don't even have to do all the forgiveness stuff. Just ask Jesus to show you, show you what's up. Because a lot of times that's what you need. You just need that one moment, that one defining moment mm-hmm. is what, what it is. And I think that's where I go with some of that. When I talk talk to people who are like, man, dude, you know, you had this story going, well, I'm like, just tell Jesus, man, challenge that. I said, God's about God's about showing himself if he can, you know, but you got to have an opening for that. Mm-hmm. You got to have some, there's got to be some kind of open communication between you and him somewhere. Yeah. And I said, You're, God's a gentleman, so you need to be one to start it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, so- you're right. About the other one thing I want to go back to was that tell, if it was not for Kenny Murphy being that Christian that he was, uh, chances are probably wouldn't be sitting here. Yeah. Okay. So, and having said that, that's what you said was is really, really important. You're going to get discouraged when you tell people, "Hey, uh, you need to come to church with me, man." And they're going to be like, no, I'm going to snoop at the church, man. I ain't drinking your Kool-Aid punk. I don't want to listen to that crap. You know, they're going to, they're going to browbeat you. But along with that, Kenny was also a nice person. Kenny always offered me a meal. He, you -hmm. know, he was always fair with me on deals that we did and stuff like that. It was not just Kenny being Kenny. It was Kenny showing me a Christian's lifestyle. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So that's what I'm saying. I I really appreciate the fact that you said that about Kenny because it, it shows that a Christian, somebody can change that
0: yeah for sure so Jeremy, is there anything that you want to say to, to anyone who's listening your final thought <laughs> oh.
2: I guess my final thought would be if you're in it okay if you're if you're in the middle of anything that I've been through um, there's a place you can go uh, go to your go to your local church hit just hit your knees wherever you're at and and just like I said, Say, look, Jesus, I need you somehow, some way. Jesus, I want to know who you are. I know, what I want to know what you're about, dude. There <laughs> I go. again give my '80s terminology. God knows, <laughs> God knows. I mean, in most respect, just be like, dude, I know what's up. I need you, bro. I need you right now. I need you to be mm-hmm. in my life, or I need you to stop this for me. I need to quit. I need to get off this roller coaster ride of crap that the devil has got me on. Just wherever you're at, just tell him. Have a little faith in that. Um, if you need help with that, okay, our church, uh, New Life Church, mm-hmm. New Life Fellowship, is where I landed. Okay, um, it's been a great church to me. I, you know, I'm not trying, trying to try and like, you know, like play it up. But this church is awesome, dude. I'm just gonna put <laughs> it out there. <laughs> this church has been really, really good to me. Um, I found a lot of good friends, and Ben and Phil, and a lot of other people, mm-hmm. you know, and, and stuff. It's given me an opportunity to teach what I've, you know, what I've learned. Um, I was a little scared to do it first. Cause I'm mm-hmm. like, how it's like the Fox, the reformed Fox garden, to hen house concept. <laughs> how am I going to tell a bunch of eggs to get clean when I was like that? So I've had to learn. It's been my own learning process, but if you're out there and you're listening to good new life fellowship church, there's usually somebody here mm-hmm. all the time. Um, even if they're not there at the moment, come back later. Uh, we got cards. we're in a phone book. Um, There's always a way to reach somebody that is more than willing to pray with you, more than willing to take you into sanctuary and get on their knees with you, no matter what state you're in. And I want to repeat that. No matter what state you're in, Mm -hmm. if you're ready to be done, there's people here that can help you. Um, The people here that will talk to you, people that are here that will help you if you're ready to be done. Um, If you want to talk to me... You can get a hold on Facebook. I think you guys got your website on Facebook. On The podcast has its own email address. Yeah. i let you guys play that one up. But um, <laughs> if you got any questions for me, um, I'd be more than willing to do that. Um, or if somebody out there wants me to come and talk sometime, I'm good with that. I think this is something maybe God's expanded me into, maybe getting out a little more in public. I've talked to some nurses at um, IPF or IPW?
1: Indiana, Wesleyan.
2: Yeah, Indiana Wesleyan. I know. <laughs> Our friend Barb is a, is a preacher there, a professor there, a preacher. She's a professor there, and she had me come do a, a talk. So here I am in front of these, you know, they've been in, in this stuff for like two or three years. I mean, they're pretty smart people. And here I am lecturing them about God and drugs. I gave my testimony, told them about, you know, I was there to tell them about drugs and alcohol and classes and things mm-hmm. like that. So it, And it turned out really well. Um, only because the providence of God was there, only because God's glory was involved in it. I think I really appreciate the fact that God can use me as a mouthpiece. I may not be able to go back and take back everything evil I've ever done to all these people, but I think if God can use me as a mouthpiece to glorify Him, there's a healing in that process mm-hmm. that God's given me as well. For so. sure, yeah. Anyway, that's my final thought is, thank you for listening. Thank you for all that. (laughs) Hopefully that you'll find God and you'll find Jesus because it's the best thing you can have have happen to you. Mm -hmm. I'm a walking, talking testimony
0: of it. Mm So um, our weekly verse is 2 Corinthians 12, 9, which says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me all right well jeremy we want to thank you for being on the podcast with Mm -hmm. us today i wrote down. thanks for having me you know you're welcome (laughs) we we enjoyed it
1: i wrote down two things and one of them was who do i owe and how do i fix it and i think you just addressed it right there where it doesn't matter who you owe because god has healed you yeah and that's what stood out to me the most yeah uh Phil would like me to plug our Facebook page this week, and Jeremy already did a beautiful job of it, but look up (laughs) Kingdom Faith on Facebook. Our logo, uh, wherever you listen to your podcast, is the same on uh, Facebook, so give us a like, give us a shout out, or a comment. We would love to see you there. Uh, like Jeremy said, if you have any questions for him or would like to get to know him a little bit more, you can send us a message at kingdomfaith2001 at gmail.com or on our Facebook page, come check us out. And as always, thank you for listening to Kingdom Faith.